and I love the idea, and it sounds a bit nuts, I know, but of treating video games like we treat learning a foreign language. We'll be cheering on our kids as they do that and be wanting to know, you know, how are they improving, how are they progressing in it, and being ambitious for the experience and not settling for, not that Fortnite's bad, but not settling for Fortnite and Minecraft, but knowing there's more out there. This is the Humans of Gaming podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Welcome back to Humans of Gaming. I'm Drew Dixon, and I did say welcome back because I know you've been listening diligently <laughs> every episode from day one, so thank you. Mm. And if you haven't, go back. There's some good ones. There's some mm-hmm. great ones in the backlog. Go listen mm-hmm. to them. Uh, but I'm the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd and uh, also one of the co-founders of Love Thy Nerd. I'm joined with Chris Waltney, who co-hosts the show. Hey, Chris. What's happening? I am Chris. I have not been here for every episode of humans of gaming mm, that's true anyway welcome we're super glad you're here uh, otherwise it would just be us talking to ourselves and that doesn't sound very fun so anyway you're here humans of gaming uh where we like to have designers developers content creators all kinds of gaming industry folks on to talk about the things they do and the importance of those things and also just kind of get to know them as people so we can hear what makes them tick so this yeah. episode, we had Andy Robertson from Taming Gaming and the family, what's it called? Family Game Database? Um, yeah, and it was Taming super Gaming cool. is, da- yeah, yeah. is the database, yeah. If you go to yeah. taminggaming.com, you can find this database. It's so cool. It's this Dude. massive database yeah. of so many games uh, that are recommended for kids, families, um, people based on all kinds of different values. So if you're want a game that's going to bring a little calm in your life, you probably, you might be listening to this and thinking like games bringing calm. Isn't that like an oxymoron or something that doesn't exist, <laughs> but it actually does. That's what my wife would and say. There's, <laughs> yeah. And there's a list for that. Um, so it's, yeah. Anyway, honestly, like if you're a parent and you're listening to this right now, like just pause it and go to taminggaming.com. Yeah. Because it is, it is seriously one of these resources that I'm like, why don't more people know about this? Why don't more people use this? Because it is super freaking cool. Yes, it's awesome. And uh, Andy's done just some really valuable work in that parenting space. Um, you may have run into him as Geek Dad Gamer on like Twitter or or YouTube. He's done so many. He mm-hmm. has a TED Talk uh, on spirituality and video games. And um, yeah, it's just done a lot of really interesting work in this space and like ultimately um like wants to help parents and families like love gaming and game together and game in ways that are valuable um as much as like you and i i think are proponents of video games like i think we also are like super aware that they cause a lot of problems in homes um and there's a lot of parents that are like just at their wits end when it comes to video gaming. And so if that's you, like this conversation, I think will encourage you uh, to be a better parent, um, to love your kids better. And also to like figure out some strategies, some ways that gaming doesn't have to be this like constant battle in your home. It can Mm -hmm. actually be a source of connection between you and your children. You can actually set limits without crushing their spirits. Um, 
you can do it. Uh, you and you're well poised to do it, it because hey, no one loves your kids like you do. That's uh, right. And Andy can help. So Andy, yeah. this was the first time I've ever heard a parent say, like at one point during the show, he said something like, I'm a good dad. And it kind of took me aback. I was like, well, you're a conceited son of a gun is what you are. <laughs> um, but no, it was like, it was yeah. such this beautiful, simple, like quietly confident sort of like, it's also something you can tell he has worked incredibly hard at. And yep. um, yeah, I think, man, the, the things you can learn from this guy are invaluable. Now, all that said, if you're not a parent and you're listening to this, that's okay too. I'm not a parent. Um, and I have learned a tremendous amount from Andy and the, the conversation we got to have with him. So, um, yeah, I think it's still valuable even if you're, if you're not a parent. So, yeah, I hope this really encourages you also get to hear a little bit about Andy's story and his journey and stuff and just Mm -hmm. who he is, like all that good stuff that we always get into on this show. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, I very much hope you love this conversation with Andy Robertson. Yeah, it's, uh, we've talked about it, I feel like, for a while, and certainly like, we've known you for, feels like a long time now. I feel like we've been bumping into each other a lot on the internet for years now, in good ways. Like, I think <laughs> we've bumped into each other in helpful ways. We've collaborated on some some articles on Love mm-hmm, Thy Nerd, and mm-hmm. you're certainly someone whose work we've appreciated and gained insight from for, for a long time, so it's cool to have you on. Yeah, it's good. And I've, you know, you've supported projects I've done and promoted the book when I was trying to make that happen, played a part in that. And this, and I, you know, I remember Love, Love Thy Nerd um, launching and yeah, the excitement, the reveal of the name and all that kind of stuff. It was cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks for following us. <laughs> we appreciate it. Uh, so yeah, how would you frame what you do in the work, in the world of video games for our listeners? Uh, yeah, so I just describe myself as a journalist, um, but specialising in this intersection between families and video games. And that kind of was unintentional. I just started, I made the jump to journalism from being a technical author around the time that the Wii was coming out. And so... When you say technical author, like, what do you mean? So I used to write like online help for tax software. So like the, the little articles that would pop up. If you're like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I looks like you're trying to do a tax return. <laughs> Let me help you. Uh, clippy. Sort of so you were like Clippy. You were the yeah. Clippy, but for taxes. That was. I didn't incredible. know we had Clippy on here. And this is amazing. Incredible. <laughs> so, but it was it was still writing. You know, I, I enjoyed it because it was writing, but it was pretty dry. And um, mm-hmm. and I realized, oh, I could write about video games in a similar kind of way, in, a, in some ways. Um, and so develop that as a hobby and then jumped across. And, and when that happened, the Wii was just was there. And so there was a lot, there was a kind of an appetite, I guess, for people to write about this experience of families and video games. But And I had kids that were at the right age. They must have been five, six, seven-ish sort of age at the time. And so, you know, I had a, actually, and it was it was kind of weird because I, I quite quickly got picked up by Wired, <laughs> which at the time yeah. I didn't realise was a big deal, really, because they had this Geek Dad blog. And they were looking for dads to write about games um, and, and across the world. And they had some US writers so that the UK angle was good. Um, and so I was, I kind of made my start there. And I would, I'd actually, was, I'd quite like to write some more for Wired now, but I've realized how hard it is to get something. <laughs> there. You yeah. know, it's a hard pitch. And it kind of, it feels like I had this lucky break at the start. Um, you had this golden mm. opportunity and yeah. you didn't realize it was 
quite so golden. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, okay, where did you go from here? And they're like, most people are like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> so was your first writing gigs in video games were all mostly from, from that angle? Or did you do some some like straight up normal, whatever, that's normal is the wrong word, but just regular old video game writing in Reviews, the early days? Um, it was usually that was the sort of stuff I was kind of mopping up, the stuff that people didn't want to do. And that's kind of part of the story <laughs> I had. I had a friend who was running on well, Nintendo Life, um, which is now a big site. But at the time, it was kind of a smallish site. And I kind of knew the guy who set it up. I don't know how, online somewhere. And he was saying, oh, I've got this Madden game on the Wii, but no one will review it. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll review it. I'd never written a game review before. <laughs> so he sent me the game. I did the review, which is quite fun. Got some friends over, took some That's pictures. Great. They- they invited someone from the UK to write a review of Madden. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what's, what's this weird? This isn't football. It's, it's something weird. Um, and, and then at the end, I was like, okay, well, where do I send the game back to? I've done it now. And then they were like, oh, no, you can keep the game. And so I sort of was like, oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. I might do this again. And, and really, that's kind of what got my attention was this yeah. idea that, oh, you could write a review for a relatively small site online. And there were there was you know, review copies of the game that sort of circulating. And so I kind of spent basically a couple of years writing for lots of different, very small sites. Um, and so most of those, as I was saying, was mopping up kind of the, the family stuff that no one else wanted to write about. Um, but there were some more kind of straightforward stuff. Um, and then I got about two years into that. It was like, oh, perhaps there's some money in this, or perhaps I could do it full time. But I couldn't really tell without going full time. So my wife was up for it, and um, you know, I had a mortgage and young kids. Um, so I quit the job and started being a full time. I want to know what that writer. conversation was like. How <laughs> yeah. did that? Like what? Because that I don't know. I think there's a lot of people out there that would hear that and be like well, it must be nice, <laughs> you know, or, or they're even thinking about it for themselves, like making this huge leap. Cause that's a pretty big leap. Like, what was that transition? Like, what was that conversation with your wife? Like, you know, your own reflection? Yeah. Yeah. I think the difficulty is it's hard to know what that looks like. So when you're in a salary job, you know, you've got money coming in every month and really regardless of kind of what you do, obviously you need to do the work, but there's money there. And, and it wasn't obvious, well, where's the money going to come from? But at the same time, it was like, well, I, I'm never going to know that unless, um, you know, unless I try it. And I think I'd, I'd watched the film um, Revolutionary Road um, with Kate mm-hmm. Winslet and um, Leonardo DiCaprio. And mm-hmm. they never, there's a story about not taking your chance or taking your chance. And that yeah. was kind of instrumental, actually, in thinking, actually, I, I just need to go for it. And um, I had, I'd saved up quite a bit of money from the freelance writing so I had probably mm-hmm. half a year's salary. So if I made no money, I was—I think that was part of the conversation. Look, <laughs> mm-hmm. I can get, we can do this for half a year. If I make nothing for half a year, we'll be okay. And then I can go and get another job. Um, but that—but that's the challenge, I think, not knowing what was there. And I think I thought mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be sort of the editor of a magazine. I felt like that was maybe the top job. And quite soon after quitting the job and going into the industry, I realized that really the people who were running those magazines at the time were probably in their twenties in a shared flat somewhere and were getting, you know, not enough <laughs> money. Horribly unhappy and depressed. And, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know if they're happy or not, but they certainly weren't earning enough money to um, support yeah, family yeah. and a mortgage. And so I had to. I think I of- had that s- a similar realization. I think I wanted to do that too. <laughs> and then I yeah. realized the people that, um, the people who are like, quote unquote, making it as games journalists uh, were, 
yeah, we're not in the stage of life that I was in. <laughs> and also, yeah. um, and also like worked their tails off. I mean, it's a lot of work, uh, for, for not a lot of pay. And, uh, a diff- I mean, I think it, in general, that's the case. It's just journalism is just so different now than it used to be in general, I think. But it's mm-hmm. maybe even that's maybe even more true in the world of video games when there's so much competition. There's so many people that will write an article just for getting a free game, like like you. <laughs> I used to be that way too. Like, oh, you're going to give me a free game? Like, yeah. You're amazing. You I'll, guys are I'll part of the that. problem. Come well, on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, that's that tension, isn't it? You know, we established journalists more often. I hear say, "What what what should you do?" And like, "Oh, you should never work for free," which is kind of easy once you're established it's a bit like the kind of developed yeah. nation saying to the developing nations it's probably the wrong phrase to use but um you know you shouldn't burn coal and because we've done it and so we're here where we are because mm. we've kind of done that and so it yep. feels a bit it feels a bit um a bit funny and my my take would be you just got to find a way in and whatever it mm-hmm. if you know whatever it takes yeah. and if that takes your foot in the door and do some free stuff i think you need to know your own boundaries and limits um but and i think that what i soon realize is that that everybody was doing the same thing. Like everybody was reviewing a game and scoring out of 10 and really saying a very similar thing about this game over and over and over, um, which is fine. It was quite nice. It's a nice community and it's, you know, there's a little bit of nuance in each one. Um, but I, I really wanted to find something different to say. I wanted to sort of mm-hmm. treat this as more than just something you'd score out of 10, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so yeah. that was kind of a driver to try and work out how to do that. And I think that's where, the sort of games industry, whether it's journalism or not, but there's a lot of space to try things. And if if you mm-hmm. if you get lucky, then you can make some money. So kind of if you try ten things in a year, then hopefully one of those will stick, um, mm. and then you you get paid. And that was kind of a, a model that I've kind of used, I guess, is try a lot of things, be in a position so I can try things, and and persist at trying them for say six months, where I know most people would maybe stop after a week. And then usually one of those turns into something which then has value like a year later. Um, and so, you know, but there's, <laughs> yep. some, there's some fortunateness about that because I could have easily have tried that and ended up with not getting enough value come back soon enough. And then eventually I would have run out of money and would have gone and got a different job, I guess. But um, it, it, yeah, going from one thing to the next kind of worked for me. And I think that came more from essentially being an entrepreneur rather than a writer. Um, so I think that that side of my personality was well suited to it. As well as being able to do write, to be able to write relatively well, was having that sort of duck and dive, find the angle, what should we do next, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing, and, and also spot things like part of my story is a YouTube channel and sort of getting lucky with something, but then how how why was that lucky and and really being willing mm. to, to double down and commit um, to those lucky moments to see it where they're going to go. That's yeah. something that I think is easily overlooked is like the data part of it. You know, or the, the analytics part of it is like, because it's one thing to, you know, let's take YouTube, for example, and you upload 10 videos, nine of those videos have 100 views, and then one of them has 1,000 views. And you could just you could just continue on and be like, oh, cool, like one of those got 1,000 views. Like, that sounds nice. But like the, I think the next step is to go look at it and say, okay, spot the difference, <laughs> right? Like, what was the difference from this one to the other nine? You know, looking into those things, like I think that's something that can kind of take things up a level, um, mm. which sounds like maybe kind of what you're saying is like going back and looking at some of those things and trying to replicate or expand even on some of those ideas. 
yeah. And then the challenge is whether you can scale enough of your effort to sort of get enough data that's interesting. So, and if you see this a lot on YouTube, someone will get a lucky video and then you'll see them try to replicate it three or four times. And, and the subsequent mm. videos have got like, you know, very few views compared <laughs> to the hit. Um, mm. But if, if you're in a position where you can keep doing that for six months, then then suddenly whether you're hitting or not, you're suddenly getting a lot of data back. And that was that was the pattern for me and the family gamer TV channel that I've I've had is that got getting lucky with some Skylanders content, but then basically mm. spending kind of two Rest years of doing like a like a video, almost a video a day. I say that now, I, I think I'm sure it feels like that can't be true, but that's what I've always that's been saying. And I think that was that's what it was like for a while, mm-hmm. yeah. which is just really heavy lifting. But every time you did a video, you got more information back, both from the algorithm, what was popular. So like length, time of day and all that kind of stuff, tagging, but also from from viewers. And I've always I've always um, like read the comments. You know, we all, we often will oh, say, yeah. um, <laughs> people say never read the comments, but I think they're gold yeah. dust. That That's particularly if they're engaged viewers and the channel that I ran was for kids. So um, I would have comment, like you wouldn't do now because you'd, have, you'd turn comments off if it was content for kids. But at the time, um, the kids would be like, oh, that's a great video. But what would happen <laughs> if this fig- this Skylander figure turned up at school? Or what happened if someone buried it? Or And they had these, and I'd often just do those things. Um, and then those were the videos that were popular. So I think that, that kind of not the sort of the hard data, but also the soft data as well. Those comments are really useful. Yeah. So you have the YouTube channel. Are you still like actively doing video stuff on there? Not once a I, day, but I, 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 it's still active, but I'm not, mm-hmm. it's not my main income. So I'm not kind of, I'm not grinding at that, it's, which is kind of lovely. <laughs> I did it from like yeah, 2012 sure. to like 2018, 2019. And it's hard. It's a hard space That's to be in. Yeah. I feel for those kind of young content creators, um, sort of the parent, the, the fatherly part of me feels like, who's in the room for them? Have they got the support? Like, what's the network mm. there? Particularly when they when they come come a cropper and so they do something they shouldn't. I'm like, well, where was the adult? Like, they should have had an adult. Mm. They hadn't. <laughs> so um, I'm sort of it, that, that that sort of grind. I'm I'm happy to be away from, but it's still. But I still That's do how videos. I feel about it's the same feeling I have with Twitch. I mean, I remember. Twitch, that's kind of what got me into like doing what we do with Love Thy Nerd was I discovered Twitch, you know, a decade ago or whenever that was. And there were these, you know, kids on their 17, 18 year old kids streaming to 40,000 people and making doctor's salaries. And they acted the way you would think a 17 or 18 year old would act. Yeah. It's making that kind of money playing video games for a living. Yeah, and I I had those same thoughts of like oh my god like where's their where's their parents <laughs> like what yeah. and the the thing that sucked the most about it is that they've got forty thousand captive viewers that will then mimic that behavior you know or like mm-hmm. they will they look up to them as an idol or something to like to replicate and mm. ugh I mean that still exists today and probably always will um, but that's something that really motivated me was like, okay, we can be better. Like we can do better stuff, you know, more meaningful. It makes me think of what you were saying about like, you know, yeah, we can write reviews. We can give, you know, nine out of 10, eight out of 10 or whatever. But like, is there more? Because there's something deeper that we can do. Like, is that kind of for you with the YouTube channel and other stuff like a motivator? Yeah, I think definitely. I think on, on, on YouTube, the, the thing is what you decide not to do. So you, you know, there's, mm. there's always three or four things other similar channels are doing and they're going to be quite successful. 
But then the question is, do I want to do that? And in the sort of, I was, I ended up with Skylanders and that kind of stuff being in sort of the kids' toy space. And some of the stuff, you know, would be terrible. And actually that was easy because you'd just be like, I'm not going to do a video with this scenario. I don't even want to describe it here because it's just so weird. Um, <laughs> but then there's other... Sort of, then there's some, we're talking like Skylanders stuff. fan fiction or what are we oh, talking about here? Do you want to go into it? There's like, there was a period <laughs> when I was doing videos where it's like kids doing stuff that adults do, but doing it wrong. And that started with kind of flushing stuff down toilets where there's obviously real kids doing it, but probably being filmed by adults. But then there was stuff like kids shaving for a while and, and it would like, it would be play <laughs> shaving. But then, but then, yeah. so, and sometimes there'd be ketchup and, and like, but sometimes some of those videos, you couldn't tell if the child was injured or not. Yeah. And those are the ones that are really popular. And injection videos, like where kids, or like you have some toys playing played with, and suddenly the toy gets injured, and then a real hand comes in with a big needle or a pair of pliers and pulls a tooth out and all that stuff. Because I think basic content creators had realized if we scare children, then they'll keep watching and that helps our views mm. stuff. So as a content creator, you do look at that and think, well, could I do a sanitized version of that? Um, but I was really, I'm really happy to have, you know, to have, I think, stayed away from that. Um, but that, you know, w w which did keep the channel kind of a lower level. Um, so a lot of it is kind of deciding what not to do um, yeah. um, in a YouTube space as, as much as sort of finding the sort of the, no the new novelty stuff. Um, but by, by deciding not to do stuff, you obviously free up time. Does that then... discourage you some? Like, <laughs> like you, you could have, do you ever think like, oh man, I could have like tripled my viewership yeah. if I would yeah. pretend to pull a tooth out or something and have or shave and have fake blood going down my face <laughs> yeah 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 i think you know definitely it's definitely um you're aware that not doing that has impact but i think as an adult you know that there's a there's a very short-term gain there and i've always yeah. been you know i've always i've never sort of stepped away from being kind of a grown-up with some authority in the game space in terms of offering advice and so i know yeah. that going down that very questionable route on YouTube would have impacted <laughs> other areas of my work. So I had this kind of helpful kind of belt and braces kind of check to stop me doing anything too stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's called a conscience. You have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably that's it. Even if it's or a yeah, soul, you just have a soul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, on the YouTube side, but then on what, what my since sort of moving away from YouTube a bit is kind of then mm -hmm. thinking more about parents and like what, what advice do they need? Um, what aren't they what what isn't happening in that space and, and realizing that they were kind of being got at from both sides the kind of pro tech would be like um, you know you need to use technology to, to raise the aspirations of your child and give them the opportunities and they, they need to learn that programming is the new latin and all that kind of stuff but then on the other side if you let your child have too much screen time then you're battered from this side and kind of parents were in the <laughs> middle and then there was nobody really sort of saying what do you do well, while while this debate is 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 kind of raging of like our game's good or bad and obviously that's going to be that's a long that's a long conversation that's going to take many years uh, in terms of impacts in childhood um what do the parents who've got children now do and that's what mm -hmm. i was hearing from those mm -hmm. from parents it's like well i don't really care what what the reality is i just want some advice now my kids are growing up now yeah. what do i do now and so that was a motivator for this book i've written and then this, the database that goes with it um and again, that's been nice because I wouldn't have done it if I'd had someone if there was something else to point to, and so it's yeah. quite exciting. You, to... you are one of the first voices I recall, like hearing from, uh, on a somewhat regular basis, 
of someone who is speaking into that space of parenting and video games in a way that wasn't like like fearful mm. and um, mm -hmm. reactionary. You know, I think so much when it comes to not just video games, but screen time in general and just and technology in general. Um, like we live in this culture that's rapidly embracing technology, but it's also like not, there's very little nuance in the takes. On, we're all like really afraid of it. Um, <laughs> but yeah. also like embracing it pretty, pretty much whole, wholesale. And so anyway, I just have always really appreciated your voice as one that's more um, hopeful and more uh, nuanced, I think, when it comes to, to, to video games and parenting. And um, yeah, I, I think I'd highly recommend people checking out your book. Uh, it's called Taming Gaming. You want to say more about it? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think um, what kind of runs through all this for me is, is this kind of secret knowledge that video games are actually media and they're actually something that is good for pe people of all ages. And yeah. so once you once you know that you've got this kind of secret source of information you can essentially put in the hands of parents and you know it's going to transform how they see video games how they see their children playing video games but then also their relationship with those it's, it, it really diffuses that parents against the kids in the games where the parents yeah. are kind of hoping that the kids are going to grow out of it <laughs> so that, that kind of thinking like what do those parents need oh, what they really need is kind of a quite a deep literacy about what games are because they're really scared of them um and the parents i take through this kind of process and part of it is really finding games that the parent themselves might want to play and that will mm. sound ridiculous usually when i say it i say it sometimes in, in in school sessions and i'll often be stopped by a mum or a dad who'll say Oh, I love what you're saying. I want to engage with my kids. And yeah, I know that they love games. But can I just tell you, I'm never going to play a game because I don't like shooting <laughs> things. And they're for kids, aren't they? Yeah. And the other parents, quite understandably, you know, would kind of nod and be like, oh, yeah, you know, that they'll grow out of it or something like that. Yeah. I had a conversation like that with a friend recently who yeah. was kind of at his wits end with his one of his children. He and his wife both are. And uh, he's actually at a place where he's he was like asking me questions like, should I buy a switch? And would that mm -hmm. be a good thing to do with my kids? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but he was, I said, you know, his, he, his wife is the one that's particularly at odds with their children. And I said, yeah, I mean, you really should encourage her to find something she could play with them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he, he said, oh, she would never, never, <laughs> never do that. Yeah. Yeah. But it that feels like a, it feels like a um, what's the word? Like it feels like a an admission or something of defeat for her. Yeah. I think. Well, I think people. This may be too extreme of an example, but I think maybe there are some that view it this extremely. Is it's like your kids doing drugs, and they're like, "Well, you just got to get in there and engage with them. Like, you know, you got to shoot up with them. You got to get in there and you know <laughs> do that with them. Like, I I legitimately think there's probably. Some parents that feel the same way, like, no, what? They need to stop doing it. Like, that's horrible for them. It's horrible for everyone around them. Like, no, you don't engage with them. Like, stop it. Yeah. And then the exciting, the exciting thing is that um, 
that they're not drugs. And so that's that's just amazing to to be walking around with that knowledge that games are actually this media that everyone can enjoy. And in those conversations in the schools, often they the mum often a mum would come up to me afterwards and we talk a bit more. She'd usually want to push back a bit, like how can you have this advice sort of thing. I'd be like, well, mm. let's go on a journey. And I had this, I had these games which were really good at getting people into playing something that, who had never played games before and were quite reluctant. And so, um, what you know, games? So, like, um, Bury Me, My Love, the iPhone game about refugees. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Warehouse, the kind of organizing warehouse game. Um, Bat Dragon Cancer. And it just, the, the, it's easy to tend towards the kind of morbid games, but they, those games with a really serious topic are good at signposting the fact that these obviously aren't for kids. And that's not why I'm yeah, recommending yeah. them. Like most, most, most parents would be like, oh, yeah, I tried Candy Crush. Yeah, I don't like it. You know, <laughs> but you put these yeah. games in my hands. And they go and they go and play it, and a lot. Then they would come back, and like, when I was in the school, you know, another time, and find me and say, "Oh, that game you, um, you got me to play. Oh, it was quite good. It wasn't what I thought. Yeah, I really quite enjoyed it." But the interesting thing was that they would then say, "But what happened was my kids realised I was playing, and then they were talking to me about the game and asking me questions, and I was asking them questions about their game, and we had this completely different conversation." about games and suddenly mm. I was this insider they would say and there there was this phrase that they'd often I don't I'd hear not exactly the same but it's very similar a mum saying something like and you know what I feel like I've got my boys back and they would mm. they'd say mm. that and they'd hear themselves say that and it would actually be quite emotional some of them you know would be in tears and that's kind of what I was trying to capture in the taming gaming book and then with the database is just putting those kind of games in the way of parents um, who haven't played so that they can kind of fall into in fall into them um and you know take 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 takes a very simple steps towards seeing themselves as someone who might play games and that might be part of their future and that kind of sets them on this on this path and they're kind of off then you know in some ways a lot of those families if, if particularly if the kids are younger you know they don't they don't need much more than that you know they want to, what else should we play and that kind of sort of stuff can help but they're then you know they're they're, they're part of it What's up, nerd? You digging this podcast? Well, the audio enjoyment doesn't end there. Visit LTNOnAir.com and make LTN Radio your new go-to for the best Christian rock, rap, pop, and indie, as well as our exclusive LTN shows and podcasts, some of which air on the station before they're available anywhere else. Visit LTNOnAir.com to listen now and find the link to our app. Now back to the show. Uh, Tell us about the database. Yeah, so the book was delayed because of um, COVID printing delays. So I, I created, well, I started creating what I thought would be quite a small little promotional website. The book doesn't have an index, and so I had all these recipes, these game recipes in the back, which is the way I was sort of helping parents discover games. So I was, it's I was a like, oh, cookbook. We'll, we'll create, yeah, a gaming cookbook. We'll create um, a little a little website about it. And my friend was, could make databases. So he was like, oh, we'll make a database because then you, they'll be searchable. And so we did that. And in the book, the, the games are kind of grouped into themes like, you know, games or games for those parents who never played games before, but then games where you go into the wild or survive the night or go on an adventure, that kind of stuff. And one of those lists was um, games that help you find calm. So that was one of the, the lists we created on the website. And that just became really popular very quickly because it was mm. it was in the UK, it was kind of, I guess, worldwide. It was early COVID. And lots of parents were seeing kids playing games. And I guess we're quite worried about that. And to, to hear the fact that maybe they're not just misbehaving, 
but that actually this is part of their coping with what's going on in the world in this sort of chaotic time. And these games were actually maybe helping them was, was a breath of fresh air, I think, for them, which made it, made it, it was popular and it got a little bit of funding. And so sort of one thing led to, the, led to another. And it's basically become, the database has become my big kind of project that takes up most of my time now with a bit of funding and has like 1,300 games on it. And you can search in loads of different ways. And we've had some funding to add accessibility search for it. And um, you can do a really detailed, you can like, like stuff like if you're worried about loot boxes, you can say, I don't want games with loot boxes. You can pick how many mm. players, how old they are. Mm. Games you can play with one button, games you can play without sight or without hearing or games that don't put you on the clock. So it's, it's just a, a sort of a discovery engine um, kind of for video games for the, and it's all aimed at parents so that we don't use any jargon. I never say, I very rarely say platformer. I'll say running and jumping game, which makes people laugh. <laughs> um, but it's important not to, not to use that kind of jargon that yeah. we think is so simple. That's huge because I mean, it's funny, like we've collaborated on this a little bit because I recently started writing a book on parenting and video games. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, that I think that is the biggest thing that I think one of the biggest things I think I would encourage parents to do is figure out how to get past their unwillingness to play games with their kids. You know, um, like that, I think that would really be a game changer for a lot of parents, because um, ultimately, like the things that you need to do as a parent to because video games feel like so there's like you said earlier platformer most parents don't know what we mean when we say that platformer mm -hmm. um there it feels like this whole other world and there's things like loot boxes that they they see <laughs> headlines about and yeah and so they're worried about loot boxes but they don't even know what those are um it just feels like this whole other world that feels so daunting um and they don't want to get into it uh, and so they think like, how can I possibly navigate this space with my kids? Um, but in reality, like, I think most parents are far better equipped to deal with this stuff than they think they are, you know, mm. um, because, because as a parent, like if you're a parent listening to this, no one loves your children better or more deeply, probably, hopefully better <laughs> and more deeply than you do. Uh, and so like, you actually have all the tools. You just need a, you just need a little bit of help. And that's what I love about the work that you do is is it's those little nudges that and that little bit of information that parents need um that make something that feels so daunting and so like like a problem that's impossible for them to fix uh it makes it feel more more attainable more solvable um you know so that they can love their kids better hmm and is that it is easier than than it seems i know that it seems like yeah. I know I hear lots of parents say I can never get ahead of the kids. They're just always they're so advanced they, they grew up mm. with this. They're natives. But the reality is that, you know, half an hour a day, a couple of times a week and you'll quite quickly if you've got the right information, you know, mm -hmm. you'll quite quickly catch up and you'll be ahead. And like, one of the things like it, and it can really change the conversation. And an example is we on the website now on the database. We see thousands of parents Googling things like is Call of Duty OK for a 12 year old? And they can then come mm -hmm. to the page. They get our one down and it's all aimed at parents. There's like one screenshot and there's one video that's been pre-watched and starts just where the shooting starts. So in seconds, they can see what it's like. But then at the bottom, and it's obviously got age ratings and stuff, um, they, they, we then have 20 or so other games that are shooting games that are, that are ordered by age rating. So 
if you're saying no to Call of Duty, that's fine. But it's a very different thing to say, no, but how about this? Um, mm. And when you do mm. that once or twice, initially, my experience is that the children are, the kids are re- reluctant and they're like expecting it to be some sort of educational game. If, but if they take your recommendation and try it and it's good, you've then got some equity in this space. And my kids actually will come they'll, they'll come to me and say, oh, I'm bored of my games. Can we find a game to play? And so if other parents overhear that, they're like, what just happened? Like, what, what did your child just say? And it seems like this kind of magic thing. But actually all yeah. it is just building up that kind of equity is the word I use in, in that of, of just sort of being a little bit ahead. Um, and we, we're used to doing that in other areas, and we think it's impossible with video games. So it's really exciting to take a parent from kind of who's never played a game um, right through to kind of suggesting games for their child and it being a successful suggestion. Hmm. Where, where do you tell? I think you kind of mentioned this earlier, but I guess is it games like uh, like Bury Me and My Love and Wilmot's Warehouse and stuff? Is that where you tell most parents to start? If you have the parent who's coming to you and says, like, uh, okay, like I'll try something. <laughs> you know? yeah. All right, I'm like finally ready to try yeah. something. Is that is is that where you point them, or where do you? I think it's a real them? kind of it's a conversation that you really need to understand where they're at, what their interests are. You know, what sort mm. of books would they read? What would they watch on Netflix? And that then, if you've got a wide range of games, you can either, I can either do some searching, or they can and find something. Or it's like, oh, I know, you're into bird watching, aren't you? And you, you know, there's this game Alba on the iPhone, and you can, you, you actually, it looks like a kids' game, but actually, it's this great bird hunting game, and you kind of give them a bit of an intro to it. And I think a lot of it is actually that kind of that introduction that gets them into it is as is as important, the sort of commentary that explains it and sort of like frames the game as something that might be interesting to an adult. Um, and that kind of combination of that. Um, sort of prescription of a game like a like a medical yeah. prescription um <laughs> it, it needs to be tailored to you know who's who's playing mm-hmm. but you need and you need to think well what technology have they got you know i don't want to really i want yeah. to exclude anything that uses two sticks at the same time and multiple buttons um and i don't want anything that's going to going to be very very long and so you have this kind of criteria um but and some games are good in that in that area. But I haven't ever found like a one one game fits all. Like bury me my yeah. love. I always think is a great place to start because it's so unusual and it's so kind of like touch. But I've just been trying that with a, with a dad recently, and he's like, "Oh, I got bored." Uh, <laughs> like, oh, that was my favourite suggestion. Uh, so we need something with a bit a bit cares. more, you know, a bit more sort of tactile, a bit more action packed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I found myself like I get that question a good amount from parents that's like, all right, well tell me what, what should I be playing or what should I be playing with my kids? All those kinds of things. And it's really like, I found myself just going like, Oh, you just need to go to taming gaming (laughs) 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 because I, uh, you know, I could give people recommendations, but, um, I mean, it's such a massive space. Uh, that's the cool thing about your database is that there are gosh, billions of probably of video games out there now. Um, and it's so hard to sort through them all. And so uh, I think what you've done is incredibly valuable because, um, yeah, it just feels and it's and it's it's here one day and gone the next too, right? Like mm-hmm. um, there's the for every for every fortnight out there that sticks around in Minecraft that sticks around for years, um, there's hundreds, if so not many. thousands of worthy games that 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 aren't just you know mindless time wasters uh that that nobody's 
that nobody's playing because because of the nature of the industry or it's here today, gone tomorrow, you know. Uh, but going back, sometimes it's playing, here today and then gone today. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And so as a parent, you can really play a role in it's quite easy to uncover stuff that your kids will love and that they they miss. So it's a genuine thing. You're not just kind of dipping in, but you can you can create this ongoing kind of, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, we need to spend some time. And also just just encouraging them not to just go with a crowd and not just to it feels like often in these conversations, it feels like as soon as you said Minecraft and ESRB rating, there's nothing else to say as if those things answer everything. I think it's easy mm-hmm. to yeah. feel like we have one 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 tick that's oh, this is this is the way parents know what's in a game this is the game to play if you're worried about mm-hmm. games um that's it but obviously it's like it's a because it's a media it's more complicated than that and so opening them up to you know the breadth of games um like yeah. you know a short hike is another one i often recommend because it's just such an unusual experience and it doesn't it doesn't the experience isn't what it looks like it will be and i think that's kind of quite a nice thing for a parent to say oh there's this game it looks really weird but actually you might quite like it mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that works the other way around. I've had some parents I work with who actually play a game themselves. I had a dad who played Limbo and really connected to it and the sort of the story behind it and wanted to play it with his son, who at the time was probably 12 or 13. And he had this really back to front conversation where he described trying to convince his son to play it like, and reassuring his son, it'll be okay, we'll be together. If it's too violent, then we'll stop. But it's just this really great game. It's really moved me and I really want to share it with you. Um, will you take a risk on it with me? Which is kind of, you know, back to front in a really lovely way, and I think mm. that kind of that kind of engagement just makes games like normalizes them, anchors them as part of family life uh, in a way that's that's really important if we if we're going to yeah. have a healthy long term relationship with them. Mm. Yeah, that's, what are you most concerned about? I'm curious to hear. Like when it comes, because you know your your book is not is is hopeful about video games. And I think some people can hear that and go like, oh, well, you're just telling us to like embrace this world. And and that's not at all what you're saying. Like there, you have concerns about the world of video gaming and you're really concerned with helping parents engage, engage this and help their children develop sp- responsible habits. And, you know, what, what, what is the biggest concern for you with regard to parents and, and well, not so much parents, but kids in video games? and that, that you would want parents to be aware of. Yes, I think it's important to sort of put in the room of the conversation that video game violence is really quite disturbing. Um, mm, yeah. And it's really violent. And like, we don't properly know what the effects of that violence are in long terms of long term mm. play. What we have is scientific studies that that have a correlation between the violence and violent behaviour but not a causation and but the reporting obviously says video games make you violent when it you know which came first but that's where we are and it's important to sort of just be open about that to try and diffuse some of the headlines which are inaccurate but also allow parents and children to talk about it and to be able to process it and think oh if it is violent then I want to see that I want to be around while that's happening so that my child can talk to me about it um, and then there's, you know, games are commercial. So big, expensive games or the big blockbusters are, are there to make money and to funnel children into, you know, a few experiences yeah. to make money from them. Um, and the sort of loot boxes and gambling is a, is a, is a concern of parents. So that's something I'd want. I always want to talk about. Um, and then playing with people you don't know online is kind of a third area that's important to talk about. And again, you know, there's there there's real dangers there. And I talk I talk to various yeah. charities that have been set up because the child has, you know, maybe been killed 
you know, Breck Foundation is a charity that I work with, and that you know that's that's evidence that those things can go very wrong if you mm-hmm. if you're not if you're not careful, or even if you are careful. And so I think having those things on the table is really important. But the thing I'm really worried about is is how the reporting of those things disengage parents, because I think the real danger is. Um, that parents back off of games, either lock them down mm. and feel like that's job done, we've made them safe, we, they only play them an hour a day, <laughs> what harm can they come to in an hour a day? Which is a bit like, oh, they just play on the motorway for an hour a day, you know, what harm <laughs> on the freeway, you know, they'll be fine, yeah. it's only an hour, yeah, you know, but, you know, that's yeah. not really made it safe. Um, and, fi- and But then, and also either sort of just let them get on with it without them uh, and let it become something which isn't part of, of normal life. And so that both means that there's the conversation is starting does happen in the game. Maybe the child's less likely to tell you because they're worried that if I tell last time I told mum or dad, they took the game away. So I'm not telling them again because that's just nuts. I want to keep playing this. I don't care what that guy's saying or whatever's happening. Um, and so that open conversation is really important. Um, but also on the other side, kids don't then get parents um, the ambition that we bring to other areas of their life. And I love the idea, and it sounds a bit nuts, I know, but of treating video games like we treat learning an instrument or learning a foreign language mm-hmm. that will be enthusiastic and will be, um, you know, will be cheering on our kids as they do that. And we want them to know, you know, how are they improving? How are they progressing in it? Um, and being and being ambitious for the experience and not settling for, not that Fortnite's bad, but not settling for Fortnite and Minecraft, but knowing there's more out there. And so that I think that's the biggest danger is that we miss this opportunity for video games to become something more. Um, mm. Yeah, and which I see other media has has you know with I have this little thing I'll say around comics and graphic novels like I don't really read them because in my mind and I think in society they kind of have become synonymous with superheroes um, and sort of slightly juvenile storytelling which is ridiculous because they are an amazing way to tell stories but in some ways we've kind of missed we're missing that opportunity there and I I worry that video games will become synonymous with violence in the same way and again we'll we'll miss mm. out on this powerful storytelling and all the other stuff. This week in nerdy news, this is LTNN. A new set of photos for the upcoming Disney Plus exclusive movie, Muppets Haunted Mansion, was released last week by Entertainment Weekly. One photo features Miss Piggy dressed up as Kermit, and Kermit dressed up as Miss Piggy, so I guess that toxic relationship is still a thing. Marvel's new animated MCU series, What If, premiered last Wednesday with an episode featuring one slight change to the original Captain America movie story that rippled out into an entirely different outcome, where Peggy Carter became the super soldier instead of Steve Rogers. A second promotional poster has been released showcasing a zombie apocalypse Avengers situation. Oh boy, forget shawarma. We're eating brains tonight. And lastly, the first official trailer for Why the Last Man was released last week, showing the day that all men die except for one, Yorick Brown. This story follows an extremely popular comic series where the world's women find themselves struggling to rebuild and find the answers around the sudden immediate death of all men on Earth. We're going to call it right now, though. It's probably not going to give you the warm fuzzies that you think it would. That was This Week in Nerdy News. I'm Radio Matt, and this is LTNN. So we've talked a lot about your work 
in the gaming space and uh you know you're you're working parenting and your new book that people should totally check out and your database um but we haven't really talked about you like where did you grow up and what was that like so i grew up in the uk um near the new forest which is kind of like southwest that's sort of two hours out of london um in uh kind of a mixed up family so um it's my dad's second marriage he had three kids from the first marriage and then he had me and my brother and our older siblings were around so I, it was a really nice kind of rough and tumble kind of childhood um but then quite quickly after sort of eight years or so um he split up from my mum uh and then we moved to another town um and it i know it sounds strange but i basically never saw him again so hmm. that, wow. that's the, the peculiar sort of pattern how did that like he just he just pieced out and was like kind of disconnected from you altogether how did that come about um so yeah i mean it's something i mean i am i have seen him a bit recently um but i've probably only seen him like 10 times or something ever hmm. wow. and uh, it just my my sort of take on it is he just wasn't able to be there and you know wasn't able to be the grown-up in the room perhaps you know which probably informs my desire <laughs> in fact on, on, on twitter the other day someone was tweeting what did your father teach you and what i replied was um the importance of having a father <laughs> kind of ironically because it you know yeah. i think i'm a really good dad yeah. actually somehow i'm not sure how that that worked out and then she was like oh yeah my, yeah, my dad's amazing <laughs> and i was you know I, I wasn't there to make a point but it, I, it was just it helped me kind of reflect that. Um... I, by the way, like, I just want to say, I think that that's uh, healthy, what you just said. Hmm. You said, I think I'm actually a pretty good dad. Uh, or I can't remember how you put it, but yeah. mm -hmm. I like that you said that because I think so many parents, and I live this way a lot too. I'm like, am I? Am I a good dad? <laughs> <laughs> like, I have that question constantly. Um, but I love it. We too often equate good with perfect. Yeah. Know? And that's just not the case. Yeah. That's just irrational yeah i think you're supposed to be good i heard some stat as long as you're good something like 23 percent of the time that's that's fine <laughs> oh, <laughs> great man oh, i am long. crushing it then yeah so oh, there you go yeah so but for, i guess Jesus. for me like just being that that's probably the danger for me is like just the fact that i'm just here <laughs> i'm just around yeah. is is yeah. kind of like a win um yeah so that, mm. that you know takes a lot of processing a bit of therapy and some yeah. time in church, as you know, and it all comes yeah. back to daddy issues at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, no, I remember coming to faith. My early sort of coming to faith stuff was around sort of the Father Heart of God era. Mm. So that was both emotional mm. and I think quite helpful, actually. You know, it kind of it meant that it put that on the table in a way that I, you know, if I wasn't in that context, it would have just been left, and I would be dealing more with it now. You know, I still am dealing with stuff now, obviously. But um, I and think when was, was that? Was that as a kid? Yeah, that was so. I grew up in a Baptist church in the UK, um, and didn't but didn't properly come to faith until I don't know if this is, is a meaningful reference point of the Toronto blessing. Is that a tall on your? No, is that I like, like vineyard vaguely... stuff? Yeah, so it was the Airport Vineyard Church in Toronto oh, that had yeah. a, like an outpouring of the Spirit, yeah, like a yeah. revival, and people would go. And they would do weird stuff and they'd come back. That was the whole like getting drunk with the Holy Spirit and all that kind of yeah, stuff, right? Animal noises and yeah. real. So I'm yes. actually I'm okay. a part of a well, we used to be a vineyard church. Yeah. That, that, like we were called Ventura Vineyard. We actually just recently changed our name like a month ago because we've not been 
as long as I've been there, which is about four years, it's never been a vineyard church. And people would come expecting that and they'd be very disappointed. Uh, and then, you know, they'd, they'd leave or whatever, but I've heard because I've been there, I've heard from people about this exact thing. And it's crazy. Cause I've rarely talked to other people that even know what it is. So yeah, it's kind of it's what it does. <laughs> yeah. I compare. So were you like into that kind of stuff? Like the, the animal noises and I don't know what, <laughs> whatever else. Well, yeah, so I was kind of, I was in church thinking, Oh, I grew up with it. I was like, this is probably true, but it's basically, you know, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. It just carries mm-hmm. on in the background. And then this kind of, revival happened in the church and I was like oh I'll give this a go got prayed for and had some kind of tangible experience of sort of religious encounter which mm. which certainly at the time made me think oh this isn't just random like background noise. Yeah. this is actually something which seems to be interested in me and then part of that was this coming into kind of ministry around the father heart of God and that God father figure um sort of area which um I think was probably was pretty healthy it was pretty helpful. No, I don't know about mm-hmm. healthy, but it was helpful. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so I and I sort of carried on in that kind of vein um, for a while. And happily, I'd had a whole bunch of friends kind of in a similar stage. So we had a real nice kind of community group. So although we were at the church, we would see each other in the week and stuff. And and kind of the spiritual life was just as much when we would go and watch the film together as it would be on a Sunday morning. Um which I think kind of sowed some seeds, which meant that I don't really go to church now. <laughs> I, I still, you know, I still consider myself a person of faith, but that kind of experience of community and not needing a Sunday meeting um, mm. eventually, I think, had its way with me because it was such a powerful thing right at the beginning. But what was it that kind of made you decide you didn't want to like go to church on a regular basis any longer? Yeah, so I, th- I sort of tracked with it for um, a good long time, probably for 10, 15 years. Um, okay. But um, I think basically I, I, I was always there wanting to kind of, wanting this kind of renewal of like, oh, isn't it about community? Isn't it about like, like activism and that kind of stuff? It's not about the Sunday, is it? And the churches would say that. Um, but then we'd spend most of our money and time on the Sundays. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. And I had and there was a guy who came to lead, and then he tried to change some stuff, and he tried to stop stop the Sundays for a while over the summer, and nobody liked that. And I had this realization that oh gosh, you guys all love the Sundays; they're really what you need. Like this is spot on, exactly how you love it, and and it's it's really fulfilling, and it's not for me. And so there was a real just light came on, and I was like, oh, that's fine. Well, I'll go and do something else, and you guys can do this. That's great. I don't have to keep kind of banging my head against the wall. Um, mm. And then I kind of. I sort of headed off. Um, I think I, I thought we'd, I'd fi- find or f- be part of some sort of youth church or, you know, alternative church that kind of never, never really happened. And so I kind of just had to live with that kind of absence of church in a kind of a, mm. a much bigger kind of network of friends. Um, yeah. So that's kind of, that was that's really interesting. What you said there, like it kind of took me aback a little because you said, <laughs> I think is a sounds like a really healthy way and I'm curious to dig into it is like, Oh, you guys like really enjoy the Sunday thing. It's not really for me. So I'm just going to go find something different. Like that sounds great, (laughs) but I feel like most people, especially Christians that have been raised with, you know, the angry God in the sky, that's going to smite them. Um, like mostly they just feel guilty and crappy. Like, Oh, I should be dot, dot, dot. Um, 
Was there any element of that for you? Like guilt? Like, oh, I really should be that. Because the way you just said it sounded idyllic to me. Um, <laughs> I wish we could view so many things that way. It was like, oh, that that seems like really great for you. It's not it's not for me. So, you know, I'm going to go find the thing for me. Like, yeah. what's that process like? Yeah, I think it wasn't, there was no kind of disgruntledness or fear or anger, really. It was just, and I think that probably is the result of the guy who came to lead the church, who was very embracing of that and of, of having kind of a young cohort of people of a similar age who we yeah. already had this kind of life beyond the church anyway that kind of mirrored what I'd had as a, as a younger Christian in my kind of hometown and so I kind of I guess had the confidence that you know this is just church we're just this is just how we made we've made this up this is how we're playing this game um <laughs> on Sundays and it's quite a recent yeah. invention you know the way we're doing it so that's fine you know I let's and you know for things for traditions to be alive and living we need to reinvent them and so I'd love to be part of the reinvention of whatever's next and that was kind of the feeling I think it wasn't a abandonment mm. of of church um but to sort of continue the story then what what my discover my experience was then not being in the Sunday service meant you didn't have a reinforcing of a particular way of being a Christian, which mm. which did lead to much, much more challenging space of, um, well, what do I believe? And is it just dependent on those people around me? And I did a, I did a theology degree with um, some, fr some friends who were at a similar stage. It was sort of distance learning over two years and that helped, helped me, mm. but it helped, it helped, I think, disassemble the stuff that I thought I would never take apart. Um, but at the same time, put into my hands, um, you know, different ways of continuing to to be a Christian um, in in very different ways. Like I had in that setting, it felt like this was the only way you could do it. And if you if you weren't here, people would talk about you in sort of sad sad tones. Oh, it's a shame. You know, he used to be so on fire, and look, he doesn't even go to church anymore. You know, it's so sad. Yeah, but maybe he'll come back. Yeah. Let's pray. Let's pray I mean, now. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> I'll be honest, like that um like that what that sort of mentality was a big part of my spiritual formation you know um and i planted a church prior to to what i do now um and that was totally the way we we processed people leaving and stuff in some ways like it wasn't that simple right it's never that simple but yeah. but there was a lot of processing of like oh well you know it's let's pray for them because since they left the church, we're not sure they're okay anymore spiritually, you know? Um, and I still like, I hear your story and I'll be honest and I'll say like, like there's this, there's this nagging thing in my head. That's like, Oh, I should, I should really, I should say something that yeah. will open Andy's mind yeah, <laughs> to right. like how important <laughs> church is. And I do like, I do think it's important. Um, I do think it's important. Uh, but I also like, I really appreciate your honesty and I appreciate, what you're saying, because I think it should challenge a lot of us to rethink, like, what is it that we're doing in this time? Mm -hmm. And is it, is it really, is it really serving our community? Well, is it really building people up? Is it really sending people out into the world to, to love their neighbor well and like make a difference in the world? Uh, or is it just like the thing that we do or the thing that we've been convinced that we have to do? You know, I, I, I think it's really valuable to step back and think about it carefully. And we we're just, there's this American system of church 
and maybe this way in the UK as well, but um, that we're just all like really um, like tied to in a way that feels almost like impossible to reimagine, you know? Mm. Yeah. Too far gone. Yeah. And it, it, it feels like part of the story, that story for me is that the challenge is that that particular way of doing it has kind of colonized. This is, mm-hmm. we, this is ours. The Bible, yep. Jesus, salvation, this is ours, you know. If you, you can leave, but, you know, this is, you're going to leave this stuff too. And so that was the challenge was to move on from that space and to, and to work out how I could keep those things with me. And that was that's really that's really challenging. You know, there are times it was, it was real moments of kind of personal breakdown, really, where um, I was just like, what do I do? And and it, mm-hmm. I, was, I was fully in. So, like, I had friends who had other parts of their life, I think, which helped them transition, maybe a, a, a sort of a wider family or other other stuff going on, other ethos. Um, so they could kind of pivot and move into something new. But I was just stood on this evangelical church thing because mm. I loved it. I was absolutely full in, full up, full, fully pot committed if you play poker. <laughs> <laughs> All in. Um, and so trying to then move away, it was like, oh, I, I, the ground I'm standing on is changing. So that was a, a challenging transition. And that made, it's made more challenging by that community saying this is the only way to this is the only mm-hmm. way to do it and this is the only ground to stand on but what's exciting that, yeah. it, with the journey is that my discovery is that actually that's quite a recent invention and there's loads of there's loads of other ground here mm. and loads of other god's god's activity in lots of other places and and i get a chance to discover that well you're talking about leaving i was gonna you know just say like the the social pressure is a major part of because I think your story is not unlike many people's stories. Um, that that is their social everything is the church, and so to leave that is not just you know a set of beliefs or something like that. It's like it's their friends, it's their family, and because many churches are like you said, hey, if you leave this thing, we're going to think less of you. That's the easiest way to say it. Um, there's a whole lot of social anxiety and pressure and all kinds of things wrapped up in that. Yeah. And I think then what, what was exciting was that as you do step out, that there are, you you, you soon discover it's like leaving home, I guess that those traditions you had and the way you did Christmas and all these different things were kind of peculiar to your family, but this is bigger, wider family, you know, the, in the world that you can kind of discover. Mm. And that was really that you don't know that before you step out, I think. And then my experience is that, I found really valuable ways that, you know, I love that continue, continue to hold me as a Christian in very different ways. Um, and part of that is, is being able to really credit video games as a part of my spiritual mm. life and journey and be mm. able to really not, it's not like I've got church and then oh, I do some video games as well. It's actually because I haven't got like a, a, a weekly church thing. Actually video games are one of the pillars, you know, of kind of what keeps me connected to God and the world and other people. Yeah, that's what, fascinating. What games do that? Are there like specific titles for you or or what? I don't, think, I don't think it's any particular game. It is more about this sort of practice of at one level granting myself permission to do something that's kind of worthless. Um, mm. And I love that kind of the idea that art is kind of like this worthless object or useless object doesn't doesn't have a purpose apart from to mm. be what it is which I think is kind of beautiful. And so um, spending time with something that's kind of useless 
is a lovely kind of discipline that really connects me to well, reflect on what is purposeful, but also just to be okay. Mm. It's okay. I don't have to have this higher calling or higher purpose. It's okay to sort of to be me and to sit. I wouldn't necessarily use this language, but to sort of sit in God's presence um, and mm. and and for that to be an intentional time, maybe to light a candle while I did it. That I like kind of adding those kind of things to it. So it's not really necessarily about particular games, but then there are there are games which then I think I find other stuff from. Um, and some of them are really violent, um, like, <laughs> like The Last of Us. I love, I love that, and I count that as a very spiritual, healthy um, story that's full of God, basically. Um, mm. And I love the, I love that there's violence in it because it mirrors the violence in the Bible. And so I love the fact that if it, if you're challenged, like, how could you love that? Because it's like so violent. <laughs> well, like you know, I've kind of learned how to oh, do that man. by yeah. by history as a Christian. We're really good at having this really violent text and not letting the violence eclipse what's amazing and useful in it. I say that to people all the time, like, or I just ask, you know, people that a lot of times it's Game of Thrones. Like, oh, how could you, how could you watch Game of Thrones? I'm like, look, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing you're going to see in Game of Thrones that you can't open your Old Testament right now and find. <laughs> like, it's there, man. Songs of Solomon. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and and you know, and we, I think it's important to even around something like uh, Game of Thrones is the more glaring example, but uh, <laughs> uh, The Last of Us. You know, none of us are saying, and nor would we say, like, oh yeah, like this is going to be great for everybody. Go play it right now, and you'll be a better Christian because of it. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, uh, we're not saying that, but you know, there is a context in which. Um, I think I think there's a context in which you can engage in those things uh, and they're not for everybody. They're not going to be healthy for everybody, but there's a context in which you can engage it and uh, get something out of it, I think. Yeah, like you probably wouldn't point someone to regime change or genocide in the Bible as the place to start. You might even say the yeah. same thing. We're not saying that everybody should read about Tamar or whatever getting chopped mm-hmm. up. Um, but there is a context where that's obviously included for an important reason. Um, yeah. And so, at the right time for the right person, it's 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 really good. Um, yeah, but I hear what you're saying. But I'm I'm fascinated by kind of the need to kind of be careful around it when we're probably maybe not as careful around the Bible. Like maybe yeah. oh, totally, those yeah. passages we have a blind spot because of mm-hmm. how you know how how dark they are. Yeah, I mean to be frankly uh, honest. Uh, there's parts of the Bible that right now I don't want my kids to read. Yeah. <laughs> well, like uh, Noah's Ark for a start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some gnarly stuff in there. Um, the quintessential kid story yeah. of Noah's yeah. Ark. Mm. Yeah, we we decorate wild, around here, like, dude. Around here in the states, this is probably true in the UK to some degree too. But there's churches that like decorate their kids area with Noah's Ark. That the happy-go-lucky ark, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird. The rising water. Yeah. And the rainbow. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, um, I don't know what you call it. Like, a, um, it's not an amusement park, but that's the word I want to use. It's not the right word. There's like an amusement park here in the States that has a life-size replica of Noah's Ark that 
you can go. It's like a museum, I think. It's a museum. That's a better word. But I think when it was announced, they they made it sound like it was going to be an amusement park, which I don't think. I think that's just. Do they have dinosaurs in it? I might have heard of it. (laughs) I think so. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's. uh, Yeah. It totally does. Does it? Like real ones. They like. Oh, real dino. Yeah. Dino DNA. Um, (laughs) Dino DNA. So it's Uh, Jurassic Park mixed with Noah's Ark. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, one last question before we we go. Uh, We're kind of running out of time here, but I'd be curious to hear now that you've sort of like. Parted ways is the wrong word, but you're not you're 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 not married to the church in the same way that you were. Like your involvement has has changed for sure. Uh, what does like the practice of your faith look like at home with your kids and things? Because like what what do you guys do? I'm just curious. Um. So I think what my hope is to model a sort of an open faith to them. Mm-hmm. So. They know, so they engage with lots of different, different kind of spiritual stuff. Um, some of it's Christian and some of it isn't. Um, and I'm, I'm broadly, you know, we'll do stuff together. So mealtime is really important and festivals are really important in the home. Um, and again, but part of that spills over into regular video game times are important as well. So it's that mm-hmm. kind of, that kind of mix. Um, but w- my main hope for them is that they don't, think that it that what we see is what we what we get that there's more mm. to the world than just physical matter and mm. i think most of all well, three of them have a bit, have a bit of that but in the, in very much their own ways and so no they wouldn't call themselves christians um but they are very happy to engage that there's more to life than just you know just what we see and i'm i'm i guess i'm sort of comfortable with that and then in my own life, I work hard. So although I don't go to a Sunday service, I'd still say I'm connected to the church because I have a really wide network of people who are in the church, sort of post-church, like mm-hmm. in Sunday church, or maybe pre-church, you know, some people who are looking and asking questions about it. And I'm like, oh, maybe you should try, you know, go to a meeting and see what you think. Or, um, And so I think that kind of being open to dialogue um, it's really important. And that's the thing I love the most is the idea of having, ho- holding an opinion really strongly in a community that will hold different, different opinions very strongly and not letting one cancel the other out so that you have a proper dialogue um, is something which I'm, you know, that's what I'm, I'm trying to model to them. Yeah. Whether they get it or not, I don't know. But um, <laughs> that is your taste. Well, I heard through the risk. grapevine that you're a really good dad 23% of the time. <laughs> yep. so. 23, yeah, 23. Sometimes even 24. Yeah. yeah. You are well on your way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. So yeah. where can people find you and all your stuff? We've talked a lot about it, but I don't think we ever actually said where people can go to find all of it. Yeah, so taminggaming.com um, is where the database is. Um, there's also like a there's on the menu you can go to book and then you can get the first chapter of the book for free um and find the book there or you could just get google taming gaming book and you'll probably go straight to the book which is on amazon um or other other um less capitalist booksellers i don't know <laughs> <laughs> People complain like less that. uh space fairy yeah, retailers exactly um and then on Twitter, I'm Geek Dad Gamer, and I'm always very happy to have you know chats and conversations. A lot of people will like reach out to me on Twitter, and I'll 
we'll have a dm chat and i'm like oh you've responded and i'm like oh let's have a phone chat well let's get, jump on a call and i really i get a lot from like just spent like just being quite i guess quite generous with time with people but, but it's kind of it's not really generous because like that's that's what i that's how i get kind yeah. of fed really and yeah. kind of that's the mm. sort of bread and butter of what kind of drives most of the stuff i do with these little individual stories so i'm always keen to talk to any mum dad auntie grandparent about you know, what are games in your life and your kids' lives and that sort of stuff. One other thing I did want to mention that's kind of cool that we didn't touch on is that you have a TED Talk. Do you want to, like, mention that real quick? Do you still do you still point people to that? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the in the works of doing another one, really. But, it, yeah, it's kind of what started off a lot of this stuff. It was back in 2012, um, and it was kind of a challenge to com- combine my kind of the theology study I'd done with this sort of video game work I was just starting to do. And so I kind of fold one into the other and kind of use kind of the theological tools I was learning, but then apply them to video games and sort of say, uncover the fact that video games are this pool of meaning that we're not we're not capitalizing upon, which could really help mm. us make sense of life. And although it's 2012 and it's a long time ago, I still would stand by it. It still is kind yeah. of a, one of the seeds that's carried on and has led to yeah lots of other things so that is still there if you googled like andy robertson ted talk or tedx talk then that would that would pop up but yeah go check that out and definitely um check out taming gaming and uh and the database are all super helpful so uh yeah thanks andy this was great having you on uh it thanks, was it, it did not it it did not disappoint it lived up to my expectations good, so. good. Was, i really enjoyed <laughs> it as well i'm like oh yeah, i guess we're talking about this okay let's go for it <laughs> it's yeah, nice it's nice great. to be open about these things